Shame that you can't smell it. Huh? I'm hunting the perfect, the pure, the extreme ripeness of those resin heads. Everything starts with the land, the farmer, and the genetic. There's plant entities that are controlling the human consciousness, and ganja rules this region. We in this region have produced the highest quality cannabis in the world based on our terroir. Mendocino could become the Bordeaux of the cannabis industry right. worldwide. Crazier by the second, this is daylight now. There's earthquakes, there's forest fires, there's mudslides, there's floods, and there's government regulation. Yeah. Acts of God and the Board of Supervisors. <laughs> the way legalization is coming, they're really hurting small farmers. For the moment, it's over-policed, over-regulated, and over-taxed. It's basically economic assassination. We're going to take our financial resources and we're basically gonna smash these guys. The way we treat that land, the way we work with it, will define the future. A sacred goddess bring blessing, a sacred goddess bring joy, a sacred goddess bring protection, a sacred goddess bring healing. Om, I'm Hrim, Klim, Shrim, Ganjamaya. What's up? Welcome back to Faded Truth. Thank you for being here and subscribing to the growth. I'm really excited to have a superwoman on the show today. She is a CEO, cannabis educator, ganjier instructor, Miss Kim Hooks, aka Madam Cannoli. How you doing? Good, good. I appreciate you being here. Um, it's been a journey for me in cannabis since I started the brand. So it's really funny how now I'm like interviewing you because it's, you know, we talked a little about, about the Gangier thing. I know you said that would be good for me to kind of tap into, but um, yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Basically, I know that um, you were trying to promote the documentary that's coming out for Frenchie Cannoli, who is your late husband. Mm -hmm. And I was like reading through, I want to go through his journey later, you know, because he's not here to talk about it, but it was a crazy I didn't realize like he was literally traveling the world like 20 years nomad type of thing. So yeah, I kind of want to start off with um, how did you and Frenchie meet? Um, at a full moon party in Pokhara in Nepal uh, about 42 years ago in June. Um, so you know how it is when you travel, you run into people, especially when you're traveling by yourself. Um, that's kind of the point is to run into other people who are traveling and running, having the nomad life. Right. So they were having a full moon party and his friend invited me to this, this little party they, they were doing. It was for the other friend's birthday. And they had made a, a majun, you know, kind of in the Moroccan um, dried fruit dish inspired where they had to, taken, he told me later about a hundred grams of charas and infused it and let it macerate uh, for a few days in this dried fruit mixture. And it was very tasty and we all ate far too much of it. <laughs> and um, we had a wonderful time. And um, then I kept randomly running into them because, you know, when you traveled back in the day like that, there was kind of different main cities that were pretty popular among tourists. And I kept randomly running into them all over India in these main areas it was kind of like if i had ran into them one day in seattle and the next day in houston you know because india is so large and at one point we were in varanasi or i was in varanasi and i was walking through 
the bazaar where all the little shops are. It's very narrow. And I was walking um, in between a bunch of shops and a hand reached out to grab me and it was his friend. And he said, you have to quit following us like this. <laughs> We're going to be um, in Ampi in Southern India. Uh, about a day's train ride from where we were currently at in a few weeks for Frenchie's birthday. You should join us there. And I said, oh, I'll see, you know, maybe. And, you know, this was pre-telephone, uh, cell phones, but I did end up going down there. I arrived in a train by myself at night with no direction about where they were going to be beyond. There were some temple ruins there that they were planning to stay at. <laughs> and I got off the train and there was a large field of um, banana, like almost a little mini banana plantation. And in my brain, I don't know why, I said, well, they must be on the other side of the banana trees. So I'll start walking on this path through the banana trees. And it was at sunset. I don't know what my game plan was if I didn't run into them, but I kind of walked around the first curve of bananas and I ran smack into Frenchie. And he had come a day before to set up for his birthday party. And after that, I ended up traveling with them for about nine months all over India. And at that point, I think they were eight or nine Frenchmen and me. And so we used to just wake up in the morning and say, what do you want to do today? And hop on a bus or a train or, or not hop on a bus or a train and uh, do whatever, you know, was kind of the inspiration of the time. And uh, it was pretty cool. So the fact that you met him you were traveling were you traveling the world too kind of thing were you like just yeah no i'd been to latin america already been through large parts of asia okay so you were you you guys were both on the same kind of mental thing of like we're just gonna we're just out here who knows what well i think it was very much in the 80s you know um frenchy described it his parents and mine too to a degree promoted it like when you finished high school you should get a job and that that job was going to be your career for until you turn 55 in France, 65 in the US. And then once you had done this career where you saved money for your retirement, then you would take your vacation and then you would enjoy life. And I remember we used to joke, well, we're going to do it backwards. We're going to flip it around. We're going to take the vacation up front. We're going to take the retirement up front because who knows what's going to happen when you're 65. And thank God we did. Because if I had waited, I'm not 65 yet. That'll be next year. If I had waited till I was 65, I'd be alone. I never traveled with them. Yeah. And it would, let, let me just say also, how stupid is it to ask humans to wait until your body's starting to fall apart to do all this stuff that requires much more agility and you enjoy so much more when you're young, you know, because, because we if you go. did it backwards, then people would be just as happy as you are with your life. Right. And that, you know, they want you to go backwards because they want you to be mentally blocked off, not creative. You know what I mean? I think like to a they want you to buy into stuff that's going to cost you a lot of money and kind of get you caught into some responsibilities. I really think in a perfect world, we would allow people in their early 20s to just go out and screw up their life a little bit because you learn the most in your 20s mm -hmm. doing all the cool shit, but also fucking up a little bit. <laughs> you know what not to do when you really want to more seriously approach your life. Um, so it's a great time to just go out also to meet a bunch of people and to figure out a little bit 
who you are and what you're passionate right. about. If you haven't figured that out by then, which so many people haven't, if you don't have like some very predominant talent that's been your passion since a young age, you're probably not really sure. And it's a little bit daunting to think I'm going to choose this one thing mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it for the next 40 years. Um, I agree. I've always had issues with commitment on that end. I'm like, that sounds way too long. I am not <laughs> trying to do that. And then I got all this debt. What? Nope, nope, nope. So and it's a good thing, especially for Westerners to, at least back in the day, to get out and see the world and to realize that we're not all that. And that there's so much, especially in the cultures that have longer history, longer traditions, that there's so much for us to learn from that and to uh, understand from that. Um, yeah, so it was it was a really beautiful thing. We spent 20 years in Asia. Wow. So when you met Frenchie, were you already into cannabis? Yeah. Yeah, of okay. course. How no, did you guys as a like, young American? I mean, the whole, you know, when you're yeah, like, is American. it just like, all right, it was the 80s, everyone did drugs, everyone smoked weed, or was it like, were you genuinely like, edu- like starting to educate yourself on it? I mean, I know there wasn't really a lot of info. There was no education. It? it was not easy to get access to factual information to the science. In order to do that, you know, there were limited places that were being allowed to study cannabis and largely as a way to bust people. So the government funded some studies, both in the US and Israel and other countries to figure out more, for them to learn more about the terpenes and how they might use these aroma profiles to train the dogs to be able to, because they didn't have the scanners they had back in the day. So they were looking more for more efficient methodologies to be able to bust people um, importing and exporting, you know, through air travel or on ships or whatever. So a lot of the interesting studies that were were done back in the day um, that turned out to be good for the rest of us as well in learning about terpenes were funded by the government to try and bust us. I just think it's interesting that y'all met in the other side of the world and you're both already, you know, into cannabis and then like, how did it grow from there as far as what were you doing in Asia for 20 years? Was you Were you cultivating the hash or like going through like... So um, for Fr- Frenchie had a long-term interest in um, doing his own work because his experience was if you want to smoke the best quality product, you need to make it yourself. And then of course he fell in love with the Himalayas with Northern India and the tradition of hand rubbing Um, charas up there the live resin from the live plants and so he would spend every season up there for about eight years uh, making his stash for the year so that uh, he could have it for when he was hanging out on the beach and other places I traveled a lot in um, other areas of Asia as well I spent a large um, amount of time in Japan I went to university there So I would meet Frenchie kind of back and forth in other parts of Asia. Um, I studied um, Buddhism while I was in India and went to, you know, so many of the temples and uh, the the spiritual places associated with that, dragging Frenchie along with me. And so we had a lot of fun with that. But Frenchie's interest in cannabis was really at that point or in um, cannabis concentrates was in making the best product for him to be able to smoke. Um, it wasn't so much on a huge commercial level, and he had a lot of other talents as well, especially 
he was a designer of clothing and handbags, and he had a handbag line at one point that was manufactured in Thailand and sold in Japan. Um, he was a painter. He used to also at one point deal in um, impressionist paintings and um, Japanese antiques. Um, you know, because when you travel, you're exposed to so many beautiful things. And a lot of times it's that age old thing that what's here in one country is desired in another country. And so if you're the person who knows kind of both sides of that transaction, as you travel, you find those things and you ship them to somebody and it becomes a way to, to fund your travel. Back in the day, you know, we didn't have like eBay or Etsy or places where these things are being sold. So there was a certain ability to uh, to have a have a side income from that. Wow. Do, did you guys speak any Japanese or any different language? Well, I did because I went to university there and okay. I my studies were in Japanese. I also went to high school in Japan. Um, Frenchie picked up a lot of the local languages in India, you know, as he was hanging out with the uh, the local people that he was working with to a degree. Um, of course, you know, he spoke Spanish and French and could understand Italian just from, you know, being part of those Southern Mediterranean cultures. Where's your family from? Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay. Okay, so I want to get into the documentary, which is, I know you've been doing a lot of different podcasts. I saw the website, looks good. I, the documentary clip looks really cool. And um, I see you got like a whole schedule for all the shows you're going to be on. So um, I know you wanted to come on to promote the documentary, which is Frenchie Dreams of Hashish. And yes. that will be airing April 29th um, in virtually, but in three different states as well. You're having uh, show parties, correct? So three different time zones. So we're dividing it up that it'll start at 7 p.m. in each time zone. So there'll be uh, the initial um, screening and party will be in Europe. And then later we'll move to the East Coast of the Americas, which will include parts of Mexico and Brazil. And then finally we'll move to the West Coast, which will include, you know, basically from um, Canada down to um, okay. the West Coast side of, of Mexico anybody who's hosting an event or anybody who's just in that time zone who wants to join us. But people are free to join whatever time zone is most convenient for them. We were just really lucid that we couldn't find one time zone to do it that was gonna be super convenient for everybody, right. especially since we have some people who are hosting in-person parties to help us with this. So Frenchie was very passionate about this idea of terroir it's this french concept that says certain plants grow um, in a very distinct way in certain locations because of the earth that's there because of the air quality because of the farmer who's growing it and um that for this reason in northern california in the area known as the emerald triangle in humboldt trinity and mendocino counties cannabis has a worldwide reputation of being especially good. Um, so we've wanted, he always wanted to do studies to legitimize this and validate it because it's something that we have the blueprint from the wine industry in France. They did this with the wine and they got the government to create legal parameters that pr protect the use of the name of the region where the wine is grown so that this like has a champagne a or. Bordeaux, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bordeaux, yeah, 
all of that so that this allows those farmers to have a, um, a protection for their area. And also it creates a marketing value for their product. Um, but in order to do this in France, they have very robust scientific studies to validate this. So we're taking some of that concept and I'm working with some of the farmers featured in the film. They have an organization called the Lost Coast Farmers Guild. And they, in turn, are working with a larger um, nonprofit called the Origins Council that um, works on advocacy for over 800 um, legacy cannabis growers and um, businesses here in California to help get laws that are more supportive of the continuing the ability of these legacy producers to have viable businesses here in California. Um, so part of the money that through the ticket sales and through these events that we'll be doing on the 29th, we're all generate, we're using funds to help generate these studies on cannabis terroir. Um, so the event organizers have very generously offered to support me. And right now we have events scheduled in about 20 places from Europe, East Coast, West Coast, and counting because I'm still- I need on one in Vegas, okay? <laughs> yeah, um, working on that, working on that. Somebody did contact me about Vegas and they were supposed to follow up. So I'm, um, they had a, a um, consumption lounge there. So I really hope they do. But uh, right. yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. Let me know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to view. I want to, I want to get the view with everyone else and, yeah. and uh, support. So I know that um, after Frenchie passed, um, you guys had started the Frenchie Cannoli Foundation. Mm -hmm. which kind of like you were saying, pretty much promotes projects to support small regenerative farmers of the Emerald Triangle. Mm -hmm. And so the documentary that you're, that, um, you know, where you guys are airing and everything, this is basically going through, is it like his life into current, you know, before he passed or what is the documentary kind of showing? Yeah. So all of that was shot the year, the last year of adult use in California and the first year of recreational. So that's like uh, 2016, 17, 18, that time frame. Um, so it really chronicles uh, what kind of, uh, how he got there, how cool it was during the adult use period when we could sell direct to consumer at uh, events like the Emerald Cup or, or um, just uh, through, uh, through, having scripts through through having those people be your your legal patients so to speak and what happened when illegalization occurred that wiped out that that system that functioned really well for 20 years and put into place additional layers in the process dispensaries and distributors that ended up basically eating all the profit and taking the profit away from the farmer taking a profit away from the manufacturer and giving it disproportionately to the dispensaries and the distributors and ruining the system in California and really reducing the quality of product. And then equally, the way the regulation was supposed to occur was supposed to allow an extended time frame for those smaller legacy producers to get established. But in the last minute, they changed the law and they allowed onboarding of these very large facilities in Southern California and other places where there was existing agricultural land. And they started doing these mega grows that were really focused on profit and not quality. 
And subsequently, you had the money, the market flooded with this inferior quality product, which um, put a lot of price pressure on what the farmers were selling up north and uh, their their infrastructure just uh, imploded. Um, and it was no longer viable for a lot of these farmers to continue to grow because the cost to grow was more than what they were getting in sales. And then additionally, there's been a lot of problems with the taxes being too high and disproportionate for these legacy farmers and also for licensing. Notably, right now in Mendocino, we have a terrible problem that they actually are not getting people into their permanent license. I think they only have six, whereas they have 900 in Humboldt. Um, yeah, no, it's it's crazy. So they're, they're putting all of these people who have invested literally hundreds of thousands of dollars into this project to continue their livelihood and not assuring that they'll be able to go go forward. So there's still a lot of work to be done. That's why we're so thrilled to be working with the Origins Council and to be doing events like the movie to generate funds to support that. Yeah. Um, when I started, I interviewed, uh, I think I, I did Mendo Dope. Mm -hmm. And that's like the first growers I've actually ever talked to, like, because I'm from Jersey. So it's like, you know, I used to get arrested for weed. It wasn't like a thing where we could just, yeah, like it wasn't normal, you know? So I was just so intrigued when I'm like, how do you guys grow this? And then they like did the no-till and it was just like crazy. And then they started, you know, talking about how when they got raided mm -hmm. and just like all these things. And it's like, you don't really know because everyone just goes to the dispensary now and buys weed, but you don't even know like what's going on on the back end of like all the bullshit. Like it's a billion dollar industry. Everyone's in yeah. jail for it still. And now they're, you know, stopping out the small businesses and the growers that really, you know, are putting their intention on it, you know? And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, that's why I had to switch to a farm because I'm like, I don't even know where my stuff's coming from. All I know is it hurts my throat. I know there's chemicals probably on it. And this is not healthy for me to do if I want to smoke the rest of my life, you know? So those two are wonderful. They're featured in the film. They were good friends with Frenchie for years. Um, and they are amazing growers. Yeah, at one point the sheriff came in and busted their farm and it wasn't because they had too many plants. It was because they grew so well that they grew what we call trees. They grew cannabis plants that were so <laughs> large that each plant was like 25, 30 kilos per plant. And so the sheriff came in and busted it and basically said, this is the equivalent to X number of smaller plants and your limit is this number of smaller plants. So this is illegal. You know, so they were being penalized for being really, really good at what they do. Right. Did you just see their um, world's longest blunt? I did see that. <laughs> that Shout didn't look that. like it was going to go too well in the middle. I didn't watch the, <laughs> the whole thing, but uh, yeah, leave it to them to come up with something like that. So I also interviewed Nick at Tea as well. Um, and that's when I actually started learning about like solvents and stuff because I've always been a flower girl. I've like mm -hmm. never wanted to go to the moon because I always have to do something productive, right? So when everyone tried to give me dabs and stuff, I'm like, I am way too high. I can't do this. So I never really got into like the solvent list, but he was actually telling me about the resin versus rosin and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it was nice to hear from him. I know he's actually a Ganjier instructor as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He is. He's one of the founding uh, members. So that's so interesting. And that's kind of very typical for North America. 
we we haven't figured out exactly why but when you look at the rest of the world the rest of the world looks at the plant and they see the resin they see the trichome heads and they've always consumed the traditional hashish they've not consumed the flower it's only in north america basically in canada and the us and maybe a little bit in mexico because that's where some of the weed was coming for so long when the war on drugs was really effective and it wasn't possible to bring the hashish into the, the US because the feds had busted all the importers. Well, then we started having all that brick reed come over the, the border from Mexico. Um, but yeah, there, and of course you have the rich tradition of having the flower come out of um, the Emerald Triangle and being sent to you on the East Coast for your consumption. So you guys have been spoiled too. A lot of <laughs> product over the years has come from the Emerald Triangle. But that was one of the things that I think Frenchie was really successful at is that he went to all these events and he really kind of reintroduced to a younger American population this passion for the resin, this passion for traditional hashish. And he would go to these events and people would say, what do you do? And he'd say, I'm a hashishin, I'm a hash maker. And they'd be like, what's that? And he'd say, well, let me show you. And he'd you know, whip out a piece of his hash and give it to them. And then it became, well, how do we consume this? So we ended up making a four part series video on how you can smoke hash. You know, you can smoke it in a joint, in a hookah, in a shilom, you can dab it. And for people to really understand that similar to the flower, depending on what cultivar you consume, it could be more um, energizing or more relaxing, more cerebral, more. So it really was about the cultivar and not so much about the hashish itself. When you then take it a step further and consume rosin or BHO, that's a further concentration of the product and a further like taking away some of the pieces of the plant because with rosin, it's almost like you're making apple juice. You're pressing only this resin from the trichome heads. So you're not having the whole matrix that's in the plant that you find in hashish. And then with BHO, they're using solvents to further BHO? That's the concentrate made with solvents that's made like with- Like dabs? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because that's what I was thinking. Because it looked, when I'm looking online at these pictures of the- like I saw the pizza hash and like all these crazy pictures of the best hash porn. Yeah. So I'm like, it looks kind of like the wax that people dab, but then it's like thicker. So I'm like, I don't know if I've ever. Well, everything that's on our website is only rosin. We don't right. do we don't do anything with solvents. So it's either traditional hashish or it's so rosin. it just looks similar. Like what's so? Yes, the the um, rosin and the BHO can look very similar. Um, the BHO will often be a little bit thinner because it's made with a with a solvent. Um, it has a distinct smell in my mind. People say that's not true, but I, I feel it has a very distinct smell when it's being um, burnt that um, I associate with chemicals, but everybody says that it's, if, it's, if it's made correctly, that there's no residue. Right. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to just get my flower over here. So did I read that Frenchie got his name from the way he rolled the resin, mm -hmm. like the Italian pastry, like a canola. Yes. So back in the day in the early 2000s, we didn't have access to a freeze dryer. 
So when you would, it's very important when you're using that ice water sieving process to separate the trichome heads from the flower material, from the plant material, after you have this wet mass of resin, well, you have to dry it very well so that it won't rot because it's plant material. It'll rot if you just leave it like that. So um, he would dry it in the drying room and then um, press it, but he would press it out into a pancake and roll it up so that there was airflow in it, that he could dry it for uh, another week or so, just to be 101% sure that it was perfectly dried. And I think um, that was Subcool who um, saw what he was doing. He, you know, everybody knew that was a cannoli farm, but they used to call him Frenchie because of his accent and of course, because he's from France. And so then they put the two together, Frenchie cannoli. <laughs> so would he like, um, with all, all the ones I've seen in the hash porn, would you guys have like contests or would people just send these pictures to you? Like, look at this hash I made. Like, so it is an official contest and we do it every April, the week before 420. And we're going to do it this year again. Okay. Um, so this will be the sixth um, time we do it. He started it during the pandemic because normally, you know, during over the course of the year, he would attend so many events, so many cups. He would be a judge at these events. And during the pandemic, it was really kind of lonely to not be going to all of these events, to not be seeing what everybody else was doing. So he decided to have this, what he called the hash porn beauty contest, because of course he couldn't taste it, but he could see it. And we could celebrate all these young hash makers and concentrate makers that were doing really cool stuff. And just as a kind of whim, we gave out prizes to the to the ones that we made categories and we gave out prizes to the ones that everybody on the internet voted for as their their favorites. Um, and so that expanded. We have a couple of friends who do Andy Ross is a glassmaker, does beautiful three hole bowl hashish pipes. And so he creates the grand prize for us every year. This year he's done a beautiful, beautiful pipe. And then we have a relationship with a company that does a head for the hookah, uh, a thermal head where you put the coals in this above it and it radiates the heat down onto the hash. So it's almost like vaping it. So they also give That's us That's the one prize. you said I should try, yeah. Yes, yeah, that works really nicely. Um, yeah, so everybody um, will basically post their, their best photo of their work and then the most beautiful ones we repost and those become official entries into the hash porn. And then after a week, Based on the votes, um, we tally up the up the results, and then we tell everybody, you know, who won. Nice. I like it. I do food porn, so I was like, oh, I never saw hash porn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I know you're a Ganjier instructor. So, for people that aren't hip to, you know, the Ganjier program, it's basically like a cannabis certification, some mm -hmm. something like you would do with a sommelier or yes. someone else. Um, and so I started learning about that probably like a year, a little over a year ago. And one of my friends actually did the program, um, James Nappy, shout out to him. So um, I know that it said you're pretty much, you teach people how to develop a cannabis palette, which is part of the program. But I wanted to know like, what is your favorite? I don't know if it would be terpene or flavor or, you know, if like you're an expert on your cannabis palette, like what's, what do you enjoy tasting? I mean, uh, 
for me, it, I'm not the expert on the cannabis palette. I am more expert in the chocolate and other flavors because I don't smoke anymore. I have problems with my lungs. Okay. And I don't smoke. But Frenchie loved everything citrusy and gazzy. So he loved yeah. that kind of strong back punch. But he loved anything that had the kind of citrusy, lemony, fruity flavors. Same. And um, But... Yeah, he was kind of an equal opportunity connoisseur, though. If it was good, good cannabis, he was interested in trying it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm, I mean, I love the limonene. I like pinene, but um, terpinaline is really like my shit. So I have this apricot mimosa is what I'm making my strain with. And um, that's, I also started learning, you know, when you taste it, like to dry hit and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I have like my little my microscope for the trichomes and I'm like looking at the samples they're giving me like what should I mix it with well maybe you know like so it's super cool being a weed nerd I'd love it I never even knew there was this much shit with weed like you know everyone just like thinks you're supposed to like smoke and get high or smoke and pass out but there's so much more intention that you can do with it and it's just cool to learn about like from the people that really know the back end did Nikati show you the um, evaluation app that, um, that the Gangia uses? Because they've put together a whole app. So Nikati and Frenchie and Kevin Jodry and the other council members um, put together a way to look at not only the physical appearance of the, the plant, but also, you know, the flavor profile. Like you said, the dry hit, what are you recognizing? And then as it consumes your mouth, does it linger? Does it go to the back of your throat? Right. You know, basically kind of that whole body experience. And that's part, I think one of the funnest parts of the Gangier program is really learning to use that evaluation app so that ultimately those people who are trained could help, you know, and end up in some of these cannabis con uh, contests where, you know, they're smoking to evaluate the product in a more um, subjective way, not some more just about your personal taste, but kind of looking at the 360 of how the, the product presents. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to go up to the Gangier uh, campus and be with the students and be with the other instructors and go through them. That, that training on the app takes a couple of days. So uh, they go through it step-by-step step and really um, explain all the details to the students. So is when's the next program? When's the next? So the deadline is coming up to sign up. <coughs> uh, it's on the 28th. I think it's in a couple of days. And then the program will start uh, in this. Well, the online part starts very rapidly. Um, and then the in-person part is um, more towards the end of spring in the summer when the roads are clear again. Because right now it's it's crazy up there. <laughs> I can't imagine. I'm like, I'm bitching about Vegas being 40, but I know it's like pounds of snow in other places. Well, and those roads are just like old logging trails. I sometimes they take me <laughs> to these places and I'm just like, oh, I don't want to look because the roads are, they're straight up like this and they're, right. they're not paved and you need four wheel <laughs> drive and experience to be able to do it. So you're going to still be, you're going to be instructing this year as well. You're just not going to be smoking it. Yes. Okay. And you said you take chocolates. Is that what you said? So I, yes, I love chocolate. Um, that Does was someone make them for you? Do you make them? I make them myself sometimes. Yeah. Like a butter? What do you put in there? Like just the hash? 
So we would, we have infusions. I mean, Frenchie had a couple of different um, concoctions. He would do different drinks uh, with the, the infused hashish, uh, mixing it with the chocolate liqueur and then with cocoa nibs. And uh, yeah, we have a bunch of different recipes that, that we use. Um, yeah. Nice. So I saw something about the Grow Up Conference and Expo in Alberta. Is that this year or is that old? That, no, that's coming up. So okay. we did already one in Ontario. Uh, that was at the beginning of the year. And now they're going to be doing one in Edmonton end of May. And yes, we're looking forward. I'm going to be going up there with Frenchie's, Frenchie's Apprentice, Belle. Um, she's Cherry Blossom underscore Bell on Instagram, who's now the director of operations for um, one of the best dispensaries in California called Heritage Mendocino. Um, she does production there using a 500-gallon machine. So uh, very... <coughs> Was that the hash house you were talking about? Yes. Yeah. I wish uh, I could have came. Yeah. So that's uh, in Ukiah, um, a beautiful facility. And the manufacturing part... Um, the wall is all windows, so if you go up there, you can stand outside and watch them work where they produce both the hashish and the rosin. And, um, yeah, so we're going to go up. We're going to be speakers at that event. We're going to do a screening of the film at that event. And then I heard that one of the other guest speakers is going to be Kevin Jodry, who is also one of the Gangier Council members. He's a wealth of knowledge, has been in the industry forever, has run dispensaries and other facilities. Um, so that should be really great. Nice. Okay. So that's all Canada, right? That's in Canada in May. Canada. All right. How's their um, regulations? Are they worse than it's us? Or? No, they, it's pretty bad. They've wasted a huge amount of money. They could fund multiple small countries on the amount of money they've wasted. Um, okay. So I know that uh Frenchie has two does he still have two unfinished books one on the history of cannabis concentrates and one on a hash making manual yes yeah so i'm gonna wrap those up after i uh finish getting the film online and uh out into the world then i'll start focusing on the wrapping up the books hopefully to get those out by the end of the year wow that's a lot you got a lot on your plate <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of projects that we were doing during the pandemic to keep busy. Right. So um, is there anything like that you do to deal with grief that like helps you? Because, you know, like I can't imagine how you felt, obviously, after like 40 something years. Like it's just like I know you've had an amazing like your amazing life sounds like everything you guys have done together, it's got to be like amazing, but I know the pain has to be hard. So is there like something that you do specifically to deal with grief or do you not grieve a lot? <laughs> no, um, I think it's been very, well, I'm very blessed to have the young people around me who worked with Frenchie, his apprentice, Bell and uh, Lena and other young people. That's very uh, inspiring. I think I'm also very lucky in the sense that there's a huge community that also loved Frenchie that's been very um, kind of vocal and supportive. Doing the movies in person has been really lovely to get together with the community and just feel how much love they have for him. Because I think, you know, this process of grief as humans to a degree, it's acknowledging that the 
your energy has changed. You know, when you live side by side with somebody, your energies kind of blend and you get used to, you have a, you have a comfort in having the energy of your family around you. And so when that person goes to another dimension, it's really hard for us using our just like kind of um, perception to make sense of that. Um, I think I'm also very blessed in that we had an amazing life. Frenchie particularly was very satisfied with his life and that everything that he had done um, so he didn't have regrets. Uh, I think that's a lovely thing to be able to, you know, uh, have somebody say that at the end of their life. It, it would be much more difficult if uh, they were kind of fighting against it, if you will. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then you just put one foot in front of the other because you kind of don't have any other choice. Um, so there's good, good days, bad days, but overall having the community, I think I'm blessed. I think it would be far harder if I was not in the community and didn't have, you know, the support that I've had. Yeah. So the other big thing that we, we've done is, um, because not everybody all over the world can join us in a live workshop and we really want people because when you look at the rollout in Canada and you look at the rollout in California and the rollout that they're currently doing in New York and New Jersey, it's all structured to support these large businesses that do inferior quality product because they're, they're after profit. They, these are not people who have any experience with cannabis, the product at all. They're just focused on pro, product profit. So we really want people to be able to grow their own and make their own um, hashish. So Frenchie did a four-part video series on how to do that using a small mini washer and a set of sieving bags. And then after his passing, a lovely group in Brazil approached me about doing subtitles for our do-it-yourself video series into Portuguese so all of Frenchie's friends down there could have access. And when they did that, I um, told our lost um, art farm uh group on Facebook about it. And so then we had a group, a person step up, step up to do the Spanish and the French and the Italian and the German. So now we have that four part do it yourself hash making series with subtitles in six languages. And that's on our website at frenchycanole.com forward slash DIY. Um, so I think that's the other huge part of Frenchie's legacy was that we were able to film that with the same filmmaker who did our documentary before his passing so that people really understand how they can do them, this themselves pretty economically, almost as if you were learning to can your own fruits and vegetables. Okay. I got to watch it. <laughs> I tried to grow. I got like eight plants. I had eight plants going at once and then it was a wrap. The birds were pulling them out outside. I tried to move them in with the sun and it was too much. I'm like, ah, can't do it. You got to leave that to the experts. Let them right. know the voice take care of that. Can you say that's a wrap in Japanese? Um, I'm not sure exactly how you would say that's a wrap, but what they would say when you had finished something that, you know, you had put some effort into, they would just say, Otsukare sama deshita. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, y'all, it's been real. We're going to look for this premiere April 29th. Um, there will be three time zones, so you guys will be able to watch it at any time. Um, head on over. We got the website right here, so you guys can check it out. You can see the video. You can see the teaser. You can kind of learn more. But um, I appreciate you being here and, like, just taking the time. I know you got a lot going on, and I appreciate you educating us further and me as well. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Take care. Okay. Bye. Take care. Yeah. Get caught, shook them off. And now I'm back out in the valley. Highest grade goes in my state. Why we calling it Killer Cali? Me and Sully, we got the smelly, we got the sticky, we got the dope. Taking out anybody who got up in my way. We were next by cut goats. Yeah, you know I'm still on top. The real don't stop. That still won't pop. Anybody got a problem? I'ma get this wild.